This is The Light Inside. I'm Jeffrey Biesecker. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. We open today's show with a sonnet from William Shakespeare's classic play, Hamlet. What in our thinking limits us to only seeing what we perceive as the lesser characteristics in others? When it comes to discerning the character in others, what can we learn from Hamlet? Hamlet, in a pivotal scene, tells Horatio, There are more things on heaven and earth than there are dreamt of in your philosophy. What an inspiring and thoughtful prompt to consider. In writing this, Shakespeare relays that one must believe what he or she seeks, even if they previously did not think so. The real evidence changing their mind. But what if the things we believe to be true about our enemies have been wrong? A bad judge of character or simply a misunderstanding of who someone really is? Perhaps we aren't seeing a more expansive picture of who they are as human beings, of how the differences we often think are smaller and less significant than what they might seem. As one considers the relationship between Horatio and Hamlet, the relationship is one of closeness and trust as they serve to mentor each other. Going out on a limb today and boldly making a prediction, chances are there's someone you have difficulty getting along with every day. Building rapport and getting along feels like a stretch of your time and energy. Although this is usually not an issue in our personal lives, at work we likely need to see them regularly or work with them closely, perhaps even depending on them. No doubt, these relationships can be difficult, leaving the two separated and divided. Even if it's understated, so this question lingers. How can you possibly overcome that? When we return, we'll find out how first impressions create our assumptions, often driving how we see others, and why these assumptions are often the greatest source of the deep rift dividing two people. Why is it so hard to say I'm sorry? Releasing the slights and differences we often see in others. Granting forgiveness for the wrongs done to us can be one of the hardest things we face in life. Over time, our deep-seated animosity, keeping us from embracing new spaces within and allowing us to see others in a new light. We're often told that these two things remain irretrievable. Time and first impressions. It's not easy to know how we come across to others, especially when we're meeting people for the first time. Finding a commonality in others we perceive to be vastly unlike us can often become the great divide separating us from forming more authentic and genuine bonds. Our first impressions of someone can shape how we perceive them. This can be influenced by assumptions and biases, leaving us to discern if these are accurate depictions of a person's essence. You'll never get a second chance to make a great first impression. We've all heard that an interviewer, a coworker, or a stranger at a party will form an impression of you, your character, and your personality, an impression that is nearly indelible, all within the first 60 seconds of meeting you. Or is it 30 seconds? Or 20? Maybe two or three? A series of experiments by Princeton psychologists reveal a tenth of a second is all it takes to form an impression of a stranger from their face. What impressions, then, are we making of their clothing, their body posture, or their actions? 
in that longer exposures don't significantly alter those impressions, although they might boost your confidence in your judgments. How often do we approach this from a more neutral space, allowing the whole person to finally arrive and at their own pace? First impressions aside, how then can one more authentically hold space for others? As we see beyond perceived identities and projected constructs, erasing any created labels or categorical beliefs, allowing us to begin exhibiting forgiveness where forgiveness might be due. In this case, it's giving the grace to accept what happened to cause us hurt, so we can move into the future with strength, optimism, and dignity. As we approach this act of forgiveness, where might you be experiencing or creating adversity? Behavioral health advocates suggest there are six essential types of adversity that one often faces throughout life. Freud, in his indelible research into the human psyche, spent considerable time focusing on our social interactions. In his infinite wisdom, he lifts us with this thoughtful insight. Opposition is not necessarily enmity. It is merely misused and made as an occasion for enmity. This poses the question, how might our own sensing of oppression and hostilities be at the heart of this enmity? Seeing others as opponents automatically aligns us within emotional and mental conflict. Our central nervous system already standing by on high alert, waiting to be triggered into emotional reactivity. At times, it's very clear why we feel disagreement with others. Yet at other times, where we cannot quite put our finger on why someone rubs us the wrong way. One's own past traumatic experiences then entering the playing field. Often we're unaware of these traumatic experiences which remain uncovered, lingering below the surface and hiding as emotional triggers. But what if we feel we've never had a traumatic experience to hold on to? causing us to easily be triggered by another. Human design coach Diana Hatke specializes in traumatic embodiment. Here Diana shares insight into how these forgotten memories of traumatic events get stored in the body. When it comes to trauma, and again, I love, or I, I should say, I love the concept of talking about trauma because trauma doesn't have to be something massive. So I think that's important to always touch on because people might say, well, I haven't really had a traumatic life, but it can be little things even over time that add up that can create these trauma responses in the body. So if it's, you know, you think like Chinese water torture, like one drip on the head, it's not really going to do much. But if you sit there and you keep getting drip, 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 you're like, okay, like now there, so you know, trauma can be those tiny little drips happening over and over and over again. Never think if someone says you, you might have some sort of trauma response to something that you didn't have some huge major life event happen and therefore you don't have trauma. It doesn't always have to happen that way. We look a bit at how traumatic memories hide in the brain. A special brain mechanism has been discovered which stores stress-related unconscious memories. A process known as state-dependent learning is believed to contribute to the formation of these inaccessible memories of normal consciousness. Thus, memories formed in a particular mood or arousal state can best be retrieved when the brain is back in this state. They occur when we're being emotionally triggered. The findings show there are multiple pathways to storage of fear-induced memories. Scientists at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine state, it's often difficult to consciously access these traumatic memories, 
Because we cannot remember these traumatic experiences, they lay waiting to trigger us in unexpected ways as we interact with others. The best way to access the memories in this system is to return the brain to the same state of consciousness as when the memories were encoded. One's own past traumatic experiences, then entering the field of play, as we observe competitive nature, this can be witnessed throughout our lives as one holds any sense of struggle for common resources. Effective communication is essential in building relationships. How we communicate builds community and understanding. Mutual respect and genuine trust is essential. A trust which is free from expectation and judgments. I'm sorry. Two of the most powerful words in language, yet often so difficult to say. Next, we open this chapter of the book by looking at the rules of forgiveness as we return to the light inside. As a podcast host and guest, my go-to podcast booking app is podmatch.com. If you currently have a podcast, regularly guest on podcast, or if you are new to the podcasting game looking to start your show, podmatch.com is an industry leader. They quickly and effortlessly connect ideal podcast guests and hosts. Their process is super easy and highly effective. Create your free guest or host account and set up your profile. It's really that easy. And the Podmatch AI will work its magic in the background, delivering your ideal interview matches within minutes, tailored uniquely for you. As a host and executive producer of the Top 100 Self-Improvement Podcast, The Light Inside, I found more high-quality guests on Podmatch than anywhere else and in a fraction of the time. So if you're looking to expedite your podcast booking experience, fill in your calendar with high engagement content, creating value and meaning for your listening community. Check out podmatch.com. That's P-O-D match.com today and discover your ideal match magic. We begin this segment looking at the basis of the word forgiving, or what we can give to ourselves and others, in an authentic, open, and vulnerable means of service. In this case, it's giving yourself the grace to accept what happened to cause hurt, allowing us to move into the future with strength, optimism, and dignity. In his book, Nowhere to Go, Navigating Tough Transitions, author George Colantis relays to us, Now, feeling as if we have nowhere to go often serves as a powerful metaphor, reminding us that the past doesn't just walk away from you, and time often doesn't heal all wounds. And still, forgiveness serves as a gateway to letting go of those transgressions. Because when we can begin to do that, we can then begin to uncover the story that keeps us stuck in this cycle of struggle that no longer exists. And so that's this idea of, where I believe forgiveness starts and where it comes from, right? You got to forgive yourself first sometimes. Letting go of those perceived slights can be hard. We often hear people say things like, some things are unforgivable, which might be true. 
but letting go of the past doesn't mean what happened was okay. It's such a deep topic, right? Forgiveness. People are stuck in this energetic vibe, this area of unable to forgive. And sometimes forgiveness is not in your cards. Sometimes it's not. It is what it is, part of life. But in my own journey and my own story of discovering who George is and finding out the truth and writing in my book and years of Marines going through divorce and things, I have found that we forgive ourselves so we can be free, not so others can be free. Why do you feel at times it can be so difficult to live in the present so we can accept and forgive? That often is not going to happen. You might never get sorry, but why are you holding that energy? Or you're stuck because you're holding on to an energy that basically you're holding on to a story for a sense of control, even though that story is no longer happening. And so because you're holding on to a future that's so uncertain, even though it hasn't unfolded, it's not never going to unfold again. You keep playing this cycle of this thing of wanting someone to say sorry or want to be able to like, then I'll feel better. But that's just not the way life works out. And still, hearing someone say I'm sorry often keeps us from moving into forgiveness. Perhaps because we've simply heard it one too many times. What's interesting about that, and I've learned this. So if you're in a state of searching for this, I'm sorry, or searching for this place where whatever had happened to you is going to instantly be relieved when someone says sorry, or you get this act of forgiveness, you got to understand that the past will continue to creep its way into your life until you find a way to own your entire life story. Because if you don't, it's going to follow you around everywhere it goes. And so I think that's where understanding your story and where you came from and, and how you got where you're at is how you really truly move forward into the future with strength, optimism, and dignity. That's why I wrote the book called Nowhere to Go, because I realized in my own place of struggle that there lied an amazing story waiting to be told. Forgiving is difficult. Because the human consciousness has a hard time living in the present. With language intertwined in the human consciousness, we use it as a time machine to roam in our memories. Especially if there's been a repetitive cycle of trauma throughout our lives. They make us feel as if we're seeing the world as a different reality. From this perspective, do you ever stop to wonder if the way you see the world is how the world really is? Our worldviews often don't reflect reality. The only way to get more accountable is to think like a scientist, even when you're not looking through a microscope. So hearing I'm sorry time and time again begins to numb us to its effect. We normalize it as a common occurrence. Results show evidence of a normative dilution effect, where the norms surrounding a behavior devalue its symbolic worth. Normative dilution is a critical consequence when a given action is valuable, primarily because of the message it communicates to others. I'm sorry communicates an acceptance of one's responsibility to their actions, that they agree they may have slighted you or been wrong. Accepting an apology from someone can often be a hard thing for us to do. And when that apology doesn't come, we feel we've heard it one too many times. Accepting what has happened can seem almost impossible as we consider forgiving another. So sometimes, as we begin this process, we have to put our own assumptions and expectations aside. Our own ambitions and blind spots often hinder our ability to see the good in others, and our own stories are often guiding this narrative. A simple compliment can make someone's day, start a new relationship, or just make the world a better, kinder place.
So why don't we give people more compliments? Perhaps hesitancy grows as we consider the effects our compliments will have. And then there's the likelihood of being misconstrued, of our best intentions being seen as somehow ill-conceived or malicious. How we communicate to others is often unintentional. What sets us up to feel divisive and alienated? Quite often are perceived slights leading to massive misunderstandings, creating the gaps between two people which seem difficult and insurmountable. What's to blame might perhaps be our own judgments. Research on third-party moral judgments highlights two mechanisms as central to moral judgments of accidental harms, the inference of intent and the perception of harm. However, little is known about how these mechanisms are recruited when people evaluate themselves for harm they have accidentally caused. Do others truly mean to cause us harm, or are we simply being rash and petty in our judgments? Here we explore how a person's perspective, as either actor or observer, influences their moral judgments of accidental harm. Negativity bias influences our moral judgments. This is our mind's tendency to interpret ambiguity as negative. When you walk into a dark room, you don't imagine bumping into a pot of gold. You imagine a killer clown lurking under the bed. The negativity bias is a major cause of miscommunication as well. With multiple possible interpretations, we orientate towards the negative. Your boyfriend's seen your last text message, but he hasn't replied, probably because he's too busy cheating on you. This is what we often assume. You clean up really nice. Comes across as that offhanded compliment given by another and was meant as a slight of character. In light of today's online society, our interactions, especially written, can lead to misunderstandings in how we communicate. It's left up to us to decide what another means within their actions and interactions. Again, we look at the negative bias as especially pervasive in written channels because the receiver has to do the implicit interpretation. These implicit or implied meanings take on a larger focus as we move toward a more digitally remote way of life. In his tips on working remotely, which often involves heavy reliance on chat, communication strategist Gregory Chiodi recommends to always assume miscommunication over malice. It's easy to see how it becomes increasingly common to miscommunicate and misconstrue, leading us to judge who's right and who is wrong, and whose slight is the greater of the two. In our day-to-day -day interactions, this can frequently become an unspoken debate as we feel the strains of quarrel. Our most heated and debated arguments or disagreements, typically about a trivial issue between people who usually appear to be on good terms. Occurring as a result of assumptions, lack of context, vagueness, or ambiguity. Dissensions breaking out as a result of our emotional reactions rather than a thoughtful response. Our missed social cues frequently result from our own mental models. The above causes of miscommunication are about an actual misinterpretation of the explicit, implicit meaning of the message. But a larger type of miscommunication exists. One in which people are actually talking about the same things, but differ on what these things mean. Such misunderstandings derive from different mental models. It'd be nice if we all saw the world in the same way, but we often don't.
Next, we'll take a look at how bias is responsible for our tendency to only focus on and accept what concurs with our existing worldview as we return from this break from our sponsors on The Light Inside. What's the key to a happy and fulfilling life? I think it's the fear of showing up in our purity and our truth. We fear the light. That's what I feel like this whole journey has brought me to. Oftentimes, the things that we think will make us happy will not bring us safety and security. At the end of the day, we are a sovereign, energetic being who has all the tools already on the inside. It is within your fingertips. You can create the life that you want. And the only person that is stopping you from creating that life is you. Our greatest transformation happens from deep within. We're all on the journey to discover the light inside, that beacon which guides us to live our truest, most authentic self. Visit us at www.thelightinside.us to find out more. In her book, What Did You Really Say What I Think You Heard? Author Sharon Morgan explains that our brains delete misconstrue, and misrepresent according to the filters of biases, triggers, and assumptions, beliefs, habits, and mental models. There's actually an ongoing epistemological debate between intelligent people over whether objective reality even exists. We won't reach a conclusion here, but that act alone underlines the weight of mental models. The simple fact exists. Each of us sees the world through the filter of our own mind, based on our own experiences, history, and perceptions. Confirmation and disconfirmation bias. This bias is responsible for our tendency to only focus on and accept what occurs within our existing worldview. We're especially likely to accept the statement as true when it's wrapped in a nice, emotionally loaded story that concurs with our worldview, a phenomena called story bias. Each of us buying the narrative or personal history has led us to believe or understand. Inherently, these stories feel the truest to us. They are the experiences and feelings we have lived. Let's turn our attention now, looking at how the best laid compliments sometimes surface as microaggressions. Microaggression is a term used for commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental slights, whether intentional or unintentional. On a larger social scale, they often happen in context to stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. A microaggression is an indirect, sometimes subtle put-down towards another person, often wrapped in what seems to be a compliment. Whether intentional or unintentional, They communicate hostility, appear derogatory, or convey negative attitudes. Many of these patterns are simply born inherently in our generational programming. Habitual responses innately learned through our social mirroring. For instance, take a fairly non-innocuous and often well-meaning phrase such as, You clean up nicely. Or, You're so articulate. Comments like these often shared warmly with a sobering side order of surprise in the person's voice and occasionally even a sprinkle of patronizing good for you lingering in there too. Although our intended signal was meant as a favorable compliment, for it to be a true microaggression, the speaker's bias shows up. 
even if their walk into this conversational minefield was unintended and accidental. They often cross unspoken boundaries and feel generally unpleasant in their delivery. Our emotional interactions are a two-way street, a dance between two distinct individuals who share one larger collective energy. One would like to think vulnerably accepting this humanness allows us to view these micro-infractions as less harmful, possibly less offensive. Community builds trust. As we sow the seeds of culture and community, how do we begin to be a charitable and concerned neighbor? Our neighbors can be seen, at times, as opposition, as somehow against us. They become antagonistic, opposing another. Do we allow our oppositions to move into dissension rather than bringing them into focus and complementing each other. In his scintillating book, How to Achieve World Peace, Rabbi Manus Friedman tells us, in order to be united, we need to have something that binds us together. Finding common ground resulting from mutual respect. In two university studies, psychologists found that sharing an experience with another person without communicating amplifies one's experience. These reports suggesting how shared experiences are amplified. We see them as having more significance and meaning. Both pleasant and unpleasant experiences were more intense when shared with others. We keep this in mind as we share a stronger bond of mutual respect, creating pleasant and potentially enriching experiences together. Perhaps it is our more Pollyanna tendencies allowing us to see the better angels in each other, becoming mindfully aware of the encouraging strengths and attributes of those we share our spaces with. Striving for equanimity or equalness of mind can be a clearly beneficial and definable goal for building relationships when we become more curious. Seeking to know others more intimately Noticing something uniquely remarkable is essential to finding common ground, even if it's seeing our basic humanness. Certain social illusions give us a distorted picture of ourselves. Cognitive distortions and black and white thinking. Letting go of false narratives, both about yourself and as you are portraying them within others. Allowing people to share their own point of view rather than painting one for them. Recognizing our own survival mechanisms and self-sabotaging beliefs in the process. As we seek to deepen our relationship with others, rather than seeing parts we feel resistance to, learning to be vulnerable to the wholesomeness of another. Each of us has a shadow side, exhibited in us as the parts which sometimes cease to shine as brightly as we intend. Seeing and vulnerably accepting these things in ourselves allows us the space to surrender our expectations and judgments of others. Becoming more flexible while maintaining healthy boundaries, yet avoid building walls. Our objective communication allows us to understand each other from an expanded frame of reference. So often, society signals a need to build walls and block others out. There are times when those values are a necessary boundary, serving as a foundational redirection of our more hostile and aggressive tendencies, often viewing this action as weeding out those whom we feel somehow are not serving us. Yet perhaps there is a deeper connection awaiting under the surface of those assumptions. A more nuanced and complex interaction 
or experience which serves an expanded state of our being. Yet at other times, is one inhibiting their infinite potential to create? Next, we'll look at how what is known as somatic coherence allows us to form a more heart-to-heart connection with others. Sometimes changing our view and seeing our enemies, foes, and opponents is a simple act of changing our perspective. It often requires one, the other, or both to offer apologies and extend forgiveness. Seeing eye-to-eye is holding space and meeting others where they are at. Doing so we begin to match the energetic signature of each other. We begin to look at this energetic alignment with two-time best-selling author and celebrity spiritual advisor, Danielle Lara. Danielle, how did you begin this journey into exploring how our energy signature affects us? And what did you discover? So my background is actually in the medical field, traditional Western medicine, through my roles in nursing, clinical counseling, and then CEO of a medical center. So kind of interesting because my background really was so empirical data and hard facts and all of these things where energy really didn't have room to be there. And through driving through my experience on kind of every level within that structure of traditional Western medicine, as well as through my own journey of being completely burnt out, totally depleted, being that super high achiever high performer, go, go, go. I was like, okay, there has got to be something I'm missing. There has got to be something else here beyond just the facts. And so I was determined after about my sixth hospital visit from just stress-related issues and everything like that, I said, there has to be more. And so I started understanding energetics and got fascinated, actually like obsessed with the study of energetics. And it finally was this world that made sense to me. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense why I have felt all these energies and vibrations and intentions my whole life. And I was so sensitive to it. And this explains so much. So opening that energy up to what is actually in alignment for me and then making the decisions in my life, some pretty huge decisions to follow that energy and follow the, that light inside, you know, like what your, what your podcast is all about. So as you're making these new discoveries, it obviously has had a profound relationship with not only how you see yourself, but also in how you relate to others. As we begin to shift our energy signatures, what changes start to occur? Yeah. I think the first step is understanding the dissonance of where we are versus where we want to be or how we really want to feel as a being, not necessarily what we want to do, but really how do we want to be? How do we want to really feel in our lives? And so it's understanding that level of dissonance of where that really is and identifying, okay, if this is not what I want to feel, if this is not what I want to ultimately be on a day-to-day basis, what is... And that discovery opens a huge amount of things up because we don't typically know. Like I didn't know when someone asked me this five years ago in my journey. And so that's one of those things where when you allow yourself to open up to what are the possibilities, all of this energy starts exuding of possibility and you start dreaming again, maybe even for the first time in your life where you're able to really think of Oh, what is possible for me? And as you open up that energy, then you start to come into the understanding of what is actually aligned for you.
When we show deep empathy towards others, their defensive energy goes down and positive energy replaces it. That's when you can get more creative in how to allow significantly meaningful interactions to guide our relationships. In a groundbreaking study titled The Coherent Heart-Brain Interactions, Psychophysiological Coherence in the Emergency of System-Wide Order, conducted by the HeartMath Institute, we learn the importance of our energetic signature, not only in aligning our inner energies in a more beneficial way, we also learn how our energetic system will either move into dissonance or align with another. This article presents theory and research on the scientific study of emotion that emphasizes the importance of coherence as an optimal psychophysiological state. In a dynamic systems view of the interrelations between psychological, cognitive, and emotional systems and neurological communication networks in the human organism provides a foundation for the view presented. These communication networks are examined from an information processing perspective and reveal a fundamental order in heart-brain interactions and a harmonious synchronization of physiological systems associated with positive emotions. The concept of coherence is drawn on to understand optimal functioning, which is naturally reflected in the heart's rhythmic patterns. Research is presented identifying various psychological states linked to these patterns with neurocardiological coherence emerging as having significant impacts on well-being. They are believed to not only allow us to realign the interconnected energies throughout the somatic experience of our body systems, they are also believed to help us regulate with others we share our space with. As two hearts move into coherence, they begin to beat on the same frequency. Every relationship in life holds potential to create significantly beneficial meaning. It's up to you to determine that meaning. Finally, in closing today, simply express gratitude. Finding something to appreciate in another is a sure way to dissolve old emotional wounds and animosities. Not only will you thank someone for just being themselves, you will also thank yourself for being able to expand and grow as a human being. The dynamics of our relationships ebb and flow. An often heated argument frequently leaving us feeling slighted and slightly jaded, petty microtransgressions turning into great walls of social divide and dissension. Yet our misunderstandings can often be beneficial to our evolution as a society. Each of us can form a new worldview, a new reality, as we simply learn to accept each other. We leave you with this thought from President Abraham Lincoln. The best way to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. Share us with a friend you feel might find meaning in today's show. Or leave us a post at social media tagging us at The Light Inside Podcast, letting us know what you discovered in this message. As always, we thank you, our valued listening community. Join us next week on The Light Inside.